I mean, I do have this incredible empathy for people with disabilities, people who have a hard time walking, like empathy that weighs on me every second. But for just personal how I live my life, my time feels like the most precious thing on earth. I don't have time to feel bad about myself. I don't have time to spend on people who, you know, we don't have a mutual nourishing relationship. Um, I don't have time to do anything out of obligation. But I just really, I really don't have time to doubt myself. I don't have time to do negative self-talk. Hey guys, I'm Miles. And I'm Ruthie. And welcome to the Unspoken Podcast, where we believe that saying the unsaid may be the hardest, but one of the most important things we can ever do. Yes. Our authentic self is the best gift that we have to offer this world, but sadly, we live in this culture that tells us that we should hide it. So we would love for you to join us and listen along, and we hope that you might find connection and healing in the courage that no important words go unspoken. Make up fake love, make them all laugh. Come on, someone, take off your mask. It's nice to me. Today on the podcast, we have Mari Andrews. Mari is a writer, illustrator, and speaker living in New York. After a season of grief and loss in 2016, she decided to do a drawing a day and place them on Instagram to keep herself accountable. By March 2018, she had almost a million Instagram followers and had published her first book, Am I There Yet?, which went on to be a New York Times bestseller. This is one of my favorite conversations that we've had a chance to have so far on the podcast because I've been a fan of Mari for quite some time, and what an honor to get to meet her and get to interview her. What I learned is what you will learn. She is way more than the person that you'll see on online and on Instagram, and if you've read her book, she's a fascinating human. You're going to love this conversation. Yes. She connects to so many of us because she's able to put on paper the feelings that so many of us feel but don't necessarily have words for. So I'm so excited to get to behind the scenes and to share some of her story with y'all today. Well, hi, sweet friends. Hello. Oh, Mari, we're so freaking excited and honored to have you here. This is like, (laughs) I just, you know how much I adore and treasure and worship you as a human. And so the opportunity to get to share what I am so madly in love with. And I mean, the world notices, like they're paying attention because you're doing really, really beautiful work. So we are just so grateful to have this opportunity. So Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited Thank about you this for coming podcast. to visit me. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I mean, what is better? A uh, few days with you, tacos, <laughs> margs. Oh, the dream. Gosh. We've been dream living. Summer. We've been living it. Our up. truth. <laughs> I'm so excited. I've been a fan for for Thank quite a while so now. I'm watching much. your work, and I um, it's going to be awesome and interesting because a lot of times on our podcast we're talking to people who. Uh, aren't quite as transparent and vulnerable mm-hmm. with their voice. And uh, that's one of the things you're known for. And I so respect it. Yeah, so in a sense, you. you totally could host this thing. 
teach us things. Please, all the things. Yeah, it was funny. Like, I came back from New York when we got to meet, and I was like, oh my God. God, I just met my new favorite human. I wait till you see her work. So I start sending him all these like screenshots. He's like, uh, I've been following her for an update. I am with it. I know things. I've been following her for a really long time. I'm like, how did I miss this? Like, I just, I. It's usually the other way around. Usually, like, she is way more, knows everybody. And I was like, I know, I got this one. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to interview her yeah. have to do it so when you said you would do this I was just oh like, my gosh literally Miles flew in an hour and a half ago mm-hmm. you leave in the morning we're like we have this itty bitty window we are gonna make it he's been out of town hadn't seen a space like we're like we're gonna make this happen you I are not so uh, you are so special and just such a gift and the last three days getting to spend with you has just like I feel full Mm. I just feel full. Like it has been such a gift. So I'll stop gushing because that's what I do. Oh. We'll get, we'll do more it's gushing. Beautiful. But thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah, we should um, tell. So we met from the internet, <laughs> the internet. So it was honestly like the cool, it's so beautiful how it happens. We were talking about it on the couch today. Like two trips ago, I was in New York and I got this direct message one morning and this girl goes, um, last night I was getting to hear Mari Andrews speak. And she said that um, somebody asked like who she was inspired by. And she said you. And I so I went directly and looked you up, which A, I'm so glad I saw the message. And then I was like, oh, my God, this. I literally deep dove so hard. And I was like, she is, she gets it. Like, I know I've said this to you, so I'm sorry that I'm repeating it, but one of the things that's so incredible is you have this gift of speaking things that so many of us don't know how to articulate about our feelings and our emotions. Let's back up a little bit. I mean, the amount of lives that you've lived, I've been reading your book and I'm like, you are way younger than me and you have lived 80 million more lives than I. I'm like, holy Hell, you have done so much in your short life. It's incredible. And it's so inspiring because you're like, I'm going to try this thing. And if that doesn't fit, I'll try this thing. And I'm just going to, I love your fourness. You're like, I got to figure out yes. four on the Enneagram for people that don't know. Okay. So back us up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get into doing these beautiful drawings that you have literally shared with the world and connected so many people with. Hmm. How did that start? How did that start? I can answer that so many ways. Um, I can answer it in the way that I have always been a writer since I was like five, since I could write words, since I could think words. I've been writing books Mm. in my head. Um, I was a misfit as a kid and I didn't have a lot of friends. And I sat in a corner and I drew and I wrote and I read and I was always watching people, Mm. always watching people. I'm an only child and I didn't really get along with kids my age. I just didn't really know what they were talking about. Um, And I also, you know, couldn't really be friends with adults (laughs) when I was in elementary school. So I just spent a lot of time by myself and I I grew to uh, really love writing and observing. I did that all throughout my adolescence. 
I moved to South America right after college, and I didn't speak a word of Spanish. So I just, again, sat in cafes and I watched people and I wrote mm. and I just started writing. I fell in love with essay writing. Essay writing? Essay writing. So personal essays, yeah, about myself, about my experiences. Um, it's a type of writing that came really naturally for me. It was like journaling. And I just did not think I had an artistic bone in my body. It wasn't an option for me. It wasn't mm. a mental option mm. until I was 28 and shit hit the fan. And when that happens, you find new parts of yourself, mm. which is, mm. um, you know, the, the beauty of hitting rock bottom. Um, I lost my dad. I lost an important relationship. I had some health issues that kept me at home. And I just, I had that awaken. I was woken up mm. to... You know, I've always called myself a writer. I've always wanted to do these things. I was sitting in my apartment. I love decorating. I love making things beautiful. My apartment was didn't didn't reflect that, mm -hmm. you know? And my life, my career didn't reflect all of the values I had gained over, you know, a decade of exploration and traveling alone and learning to love life. I wasn't really living that out. And so um, I was spending a lot of time at home because I was depressed and didn't really want to see people. I felt like they couldn't understand what I was going through. And I was right. They couldn't. I was 28. Not a lot of people had really suffered at that age. Mm. And I thought, I need to start making my life what I want it to look like. I want to start drawing every day. I want to make my apartment beautiful. I want to learn how to play the guitar. I want to do yoga. I want to do all these things. Why am I not doing this? Why am I thinking I wish I were the kind of person who came home from work and did watercolors? That's within my control. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can do that. And so I started doing that and I um I decided to do one drawing a day and I kept them on Instagram just as a place to put them. And it was like it was my daily joy. It still is the most relaxing and joyful part of my day, even with everything that it's led to, especially with everything that's led to. The, the pure relaxation and joy is still there. And there were days when that is the only five minutes of happiness I had, but it did make me happy. Mm. And that's how it started. So that was about two and a half years ago. Wow. So much in there yeah. I'd love to know about, but uh, what was your dad's name? Sam. Sam. Sam Andrew. And how did uh, how did his life and parenting influence you? He was a musician, so I I got this kind of beautiful experience of seeing a creative life firsthand, and it was not totally romantic to me. It wasn't the dream for me because I saw that it was hard. It wasn't easy. I saw that there's a lot he had to sacrifice for it. I also saw the joy he had and like his face lit up so much when he's playing. And I love so much. So many of my early memories were just watching him play and be on stage. And I would go up there with him and I saw all of this and it was so magical. It was an incredible way to, to grow up. But um, I also saw that it was really hard. So it was not, even though I loved writing, I always thought I would have to have a day job. I thought it was something I could only do as a hobby. I didn't think it was something that would ever sustain me or even, you know, I didn't even think that it was possible for me to have the time and space to 
write a book. And I just saw that. And I was, I am really lucky that I had kind of that experience. And especially, you know, I am a millennial and the millennial, um, value to find your passion and live it out. And if you find what you love to do, you never work a day in your life. I knew I knew at a young age that that was a lie because I saw my dad doing that. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful to watch, but it was also like, no thanks, that seems really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up for something a little more reliable and I'll do the writing after work. But one of the things you told me yesterday, which I was so impressed by, is you started writing a book you for how many years that you were working on your book I I wrote the first essay when I was 24 and it was published um this year I'm 31 so it's it's been a journey and you reached out you used a word I didn't know <laughs> I'm the worst I don't oh, know querying. yeah I queried yeah I anyone know. who wants to write a book knows this word all, all too well <laughs> I don't know I things <laughs> I'm the worst no. I have no idea about anything. And I was like, never heard that word in my life. a very special journey. Yeah. Um, so you did that how many times? And oh my gosh, I got rejected. I don't, I mean, I lost count over 40 mm. for I, sure. The persistent, I, I am so impressed because I give up. I'm like, oh, well, but I, yeah. I love your passion for writing because you're mm. like, I know that this is what I want to do and this brings mm-hmm. me so much joy and I've mm-hmm. known for such a long time mm-hmm. and you didn't give up. That is so impressive to me because mm-hmm. I know myself and I've been like, well, must just not be what I'm <laughs> supposed to do. Moving on. That was too hard. I, you mm-hmm. know, I would have mm-hmm. just, I don't think that I would have had the persistence mm-hmm. or, and um, so what was this health journey? What, it, what was that that you were talking about when you said the bleep hit the fan? I added that. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, that was just a really minor health issue. That was super minor, but it just kept me. I just had minor surgery and it just happened to keep me home at the same time as all of this stuff was going on. Gotcha. And so that was, um, I was not only depressed with grief and loss and heartbreak and disorientation and being 28, which is like such a hard age. Mm. Um, when all of my friends were, you know, beginning to find their careers, Mm. beginning to, some were getting married, some were really checking off these boxes that I wasn't even close to checking off. And then I, um, just because of the surgery, I wasn't able to walk for about, um, walk very well for about six weeks. And it was just a time when I had to sit there on my couch in my apartment and just look at my life just see it in its full clarity. Mm. Um, Just see everything that I hadn't done yet. Why hadn't I bought a tomato plant? I've always wanted to do that. It's like $5, you know? So you get, you start doing these drawings, people start noticing. When does the book deal come? Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, when I'm looking at my life in its full clarity, I think I have always called myself a writer. I was living in D.C. D.C. is a very career-focused city. I would dread going to these parties. I love being social, but I would dread going to parties because people would ask me, what do you do? And I'd have to say, I, whatever job I was working at the time, I never had a job that felt um, like me at all. Yeah. And so I'd say, I'm a writer. And they'd say, what have you written? And I'd say, 
nothing, but I will. No one's impressed by that. You mm. know, no, like I didn't have even an article online. Mm. Um, I didn't have anything to show for it, but I knew that I was a writer. Mm. I knew I was a writer. And so the persistence really came in. I had been kind of working on this book, this sort of idea about, you know, my adventures in my 20s. I've traveled a lot alone. Um, I lived in foreign countries. I felt like I had stories to tell. The most traumatic thing I had gone through was this apartment fire. It damaged my lungs. It was very traumatic to go through. And I thought it taught me a lot at a pretty young age. I thought, hilarious. I thought that's was that was going to be the hardest thing I'd ever gone through. Little did I know. But that was kind of the start where I thought, I have an arc here. I have a story. I'm going to start working on this. But then it really... I had to lose so much in order to have that desperation. I have to tell this story because when I was going through that loss, it was other people's stories that saved me. Mm. Like I remember listening to um, Sufjan Stevens' album about the loss of his mother Mm. and thinking, thank God Mm. he made this because I would not survive without this. Mm. And I thought, I'm sure people would tell him that's self-indulgent or are are that many people going to relate to it? And I thought, thank God, like whatever criticism he got, I needed this, like I needed oxygen. And so this was at the same time, this was concurrent with beginning to draw. And I didn't have anything published. So agents didn't want me because they had never heard my name before. I had nothing to show that I was a writer. They weren't impressed that I wanted to write a book. They said, what have you done? Who's going to want to buy it? And at the same time, this audience was growing for my illustrations, which for me felt like such a natural extension of writing. They feel like mini essays to me. They're they're the same. It's the same process. It's the same emotional place as writing an essay, but they're just smaller and more playful and more fun to do, really. And when you're depressed, you only have so much energy, creative energy. So it was pretty easy to just do a little illustration at the end of the day. And so... That was happening at the same time that I was working on these stories that I really wanted to tell. And that's when I was able to say, oh, I think these could go together. I think I could write a book that has illustrations too. I think I can tell stories in multiple ways. That was really cool. I like what you say when you say rejection is protection. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Where Where did that, where was that born? Oh my gosh. I mean, I've been rejected in so many ways by so many people. And did, and I and I like the resilience you seem to have about it, but does it hurt still or it hurts like crazy. Okay, good. It hurts I like crazy. I, I mean, one actually one of the reasons I got into watercolor as a hobby is because I was rejected so many times. This was before I started drawing. So I didn't have a platform to my name at all. I would just get rejection after mm. rejection. And I was so hurt by it and sick by it. I remember sobbing at my Mm. desk, like just Mm. sobbing. I I remember I got one in the mail and um, I just, I ripped it up and I threw it away and I just screamed. I was so upset. Do you remember what it was? What was the message? Oh, dear Mari, thank you for your interest. We'll pass. It was like, you know, me trying to get Someone to, I didn't even need a book deal. I just wanted someone to look at my work. It might've even been just a magazine rejecting one of my essays. You know, it was like, I was getting rejected from all sides. And 
my mom would say, but you're such a good writer and your friends think that you're a good writer. And I'd say, it doesn't matter. The world doesn't think that. The mm. world does not care what I have to say. Mm. I think I'm just, I don't think I, that I have anything worth telling. And it was so heartbreaking. Um, I mean, again, the gift of like great pain is that you stop worrying about what the world thinks and you do what you want to do in order to be happy. Oh, say, say more about that. That's it. So, um, I mean, I was getting rejected left and right. So in these letters, oh my gosh, back to, back to watercolor. I, um, I started painting my rejections. That's how uh. I kind of got interested back interested in watercolor because I wanted to gain control over them. Mm. So when I got a rejection letter, I would write it out, a rejection email, whatever. I would write it out on paper and I would like draw flowers around it and I would make it beautiful and I put it on like an altar. Oh. And I thought, this is propelling me somewhere. I know this is propelling mm. me somewhere because these, I think even then I knew as painful as it was, and it's so painful to be rejected, mm. at the end of the day, they're not my people. If they don't hear my voice, I don't need them. You know, and I felt the same with dating, which is so painful. It's so painful to offer something to someone who says no. But you have to think that is, it's protecting you from someone who doesn't get you. Like, that's great. It saves time. It's great. But um, so when I really hit rock bottom, when I was dealing with all of this loss, I became sort of immune to it because what's the word? What are they going to do? Reject me? I just lost my dad. I just lost this guy. I was so bonkers in love with, thought I was going to marry. I like cannot move in my how, couch. How close were they? The relationship and your dad? The- um, the, It was within the same week. Oh. I lost both of them. And it was, I mean, I was just on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> I was I mean- so devastated. I was so devastated. It was so mm. much loss. I felt mm. like I had lost my stability, my my trust in the world, mm. my trust in men. I mean, it was two men who left my life, and I just did not even know where to turn. And so all I had was my own ability to make myself happy. And I felt, I really felt like I was just on the ground at the bottom of a well, and I thought, I need to get out of here, but it's going to take a very long time for me to develop the muscles to get out of here. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to make myself happy. I'm going to make myself strong through doing things that I love. Um, And so once I started writing and I just had to tell this story, I would rather die than not tell this story. Rejection just didn't bother me because it's like, I just lost so much. I don't need you. Like, this does not hurt the way that it used to. I have to tell this story. And if that means going down to the copy center kinkos and like, you know, making a bunch of copies of my book and handing it out on the street. I will do that because Mm -hmm. I need to tell this story. I need to express all this. I have so much to say. And if one person reads it, that is the biggest, that's a huge success. So I just know that someone needs to hear this the way that I needed to hear stories. I just knew that. And so it just didn't, affect me. And that is the, like, that is the beauty of like loss and, and suffering. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things is you do kind of become immune to stuff that you used to really care about. Build a resilience muscle. Absolutely. Absolutely. You just don't even have time to worry about it anymore. So people start paying attention. You Mm -hmm. end up getting 
a book deal yeah. and then you move to yeah. Spain, right? Exactly. So I, that's the health thing that I, I yeah, I, that's jumping. I was, I'm totally off. Oh my gosh. Cause no. this was like a crazy thing that happened. It what happened crazy. when you get there? It was crazy. So I, ha- I mean, this was a, such a sweet time of life. I got this book deal. I'd always wanted it and it came so beautifully. You mentioned my agent, my agent, my agent signed me before, you know, Instagram, whatever fame, following was a twinkle in my eye. She loved my voice. She saw she saw so much in me. She liked my illustrations, but she really liked my writing. And that meant a lot to me mm. as someone who identifies as a writer. Yeah. I felt very seen. And she fought for me to keep those essays in. A lot of publishers just wanted a book of illustrations. And she said, no, Mari's wow. writing has to be in there. And I just felt so good. And I got this book advance. And I was kind of done living in D.C. I thought I graduated. I had a beautiful community there. No one was more surprised than me that that became (laughs) something. I'm from the West Coast. Like, D.C. was not even – that is, like, not the place I thought I was going to end up. It's a long story. But but it was my home. And then I thought, I got my career in place. I have so many friends. I, like, I am in such a beautiful place. I'm going to finally move to New York, um, which is where I've always wanted to live. But first – why not write my book in Spain? I'm a dancer. I love learning different kinds of dances. And I was dying to learn flamenco. Of course so, you were. Um, and I also, I Googled most bohemian cities in the world because <laughs> uh, I'm a Enneagram for Bohemian Wing. And I was like, I now need to be with my people. Like, mm. uh, where are the cave <laughs> bars where the artists are like, you know, smoking cigars and drinking red wine and <laughs> talking about oil paints. Like, I need to be with them. I need find this my people. life. I need to find my people. I am going to Spain. So I read that Granada, Spain was like the most bohemian. I literally Googled. And then I, I even checked it by Googling like Granada, bohemian. Yes, confirmed. So many people have said that. I was like, all right, I packed all my long skirts. It was a dream. And the first month, so I was going to be there three months. The first month I was there was truly magical. It was a gift I gave myself. And when you, I mean, I'm sure you guys can relate. When you create a beautiful life for yourself and then you get to enjoy it, that is like the best feeling. And I I gave myself that. And it was the one time I felt like my work has led me here. My rejections have led me here. This guy this terrible guy led me here. I just felt so like beautifully lucky. Um, so I was there for a month. One day, within one day, I was going to go on a little side trip to finish up my book in these um, this cave, this town full of caves. Again, my little cave obsession. And I was going to go finish it there. It's going to be really triumphant. And I started feeling really weak on the bus over there. And I figured it was from a lot of dancing. Um, I don't know, walking around a lot. I called a doctor about it because it was pretty weird. I felt my legs felt really weak. I was Googling um, heavy legs. I did, it was the weirdest feeling. And the doctor said, you probably like, you know, you've been drinking wine. You haven't been drinking much water. You've been dancing, like just, you know, sleep it off, which I tried to do. And the next morning I 
I took a step, I woke up, I took a step and I just fell. I thought I need to get back to Granada, which is a pretty big city and I'll, you know, be better there. I don't want to go to a hospital here. But as I was leaving the hotel, I collapsed and I just couldn't get up. And so I went to this little town hospital. Um, I have lived in South America. I have like done my Duolingo. I still don't speak Spanish very well. And so um, I didn't have, you know, the ability to communicate, which was really stressful. Um, I didn't have data on my phone, so I was relying on Wi-Fi, which they didn't have. And I was completely alone there. That was about eight hours of tests. It was pretty surreal. I I was told um, by an English-speaking nurse that there was a very good chance I had a permanent condition, which she um, told me the name of. And the idea that I would never be independent again, and she said it, you know, it sounds like you've had a really beautiful life and you've made the most of your life and now your life is going to look really different. And it was so scary and it was so terrible to think about that. It was so hard. And so I was in my little universe, my head universe for um, about a day. And then they said, um, we think you have to you have to go back to Granada to get treated for this. They sent me in an ambulance. It was about two hours. And um, then I waited in the emergency room for another few hours. And it was so lonely. It was hell, that that loneliness. Um, not being able to communicate with anyone who I loved or really communicate with people who could help me. And I was just sitting there. I was in this really crowded emergency room. A lot of people are crying. You know, it's really, really bleak atmosphere. People are rushing around. And um, and I'm in my my mental hell of um, you know, I'm never, I'm never gonna get, but I'm never gonna get to do the things I want to do again. You know, I can't finish this book. I can't dance. You know, I'm thinking about all the things I could never do. Um, more and more tests, I learned that I had an autoimmune disease um, called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is um, an autoimmune disease that um, attacks the nerves in my body. So I knew that in a few days I would be mostly paralyzed. Fortunately, it didn't spread to my face, which is pretty common. They caught it in time, but it spread um, my legs, my torso, my arms. And um, I was so, so relieved to know it wasn't a permanent thing, but it was going to really mess up the next few months, which is what it did. That's something an autoimmune disease teach me things. I know. I don't it's know. really confusing. I mean, that's not something you'll have forever. No, I th- a lot of them are. Okay. I was very, I mean, I was so, so relieved to know that it just attacked it did all the attacking. It was going to do, be doing the attacking the next few days. That meant that I was going to be paralyzed for a while. It would take a lot to get my strength back, um, but it was not going to be something ongoing. It was right. something that happened once, okay. and it was going to be very difficult to recover from, but it wasn't um, – the prognosis was about two two years of recovery. So I'm in year two now, and I'm pretty much all the way recovered, which is a miracle. Hmm. That's pretty rare. Um, and I knew, I knew I was going to get better, which was, um, 
you know, such a gift to know. It was such a gift. It was still so traumatizing. Horrible. <laughs> but I I no longer had that fear after a while, after a few days, that I would um, you know, be dependent forever, which was very freeing. But it also I tasted that. I went, I dipped my toes in that. And now I know what it's like for people. And that kind of empathy that I have now is actually like very, very hard to deal with on a daily basis because I I feel like I kind of half live there. You know what I mean? Like my brain, I'm still so affected by that experience. And I know just how, you know, traumatic that is. And I still feel traumatized by it. That's nice. What parts of it seem to impact you the most even today? Um, like mentally and emotionally yeah. or physically. Yeah. <laughs> um so much. I'm still processing it. Yeah. I'm very much processing it. I at that point I <laughs> I was kind of resentful in the hospital thinking, I just did this. I just lost my dad. I do, I know how to love life. Like I learned the lessons. I'm grateful. This did not need to happen to me, you know. Um, I was very, very resentful of it. Um, at getting out of it, I mean, I do have this incredible empathy for people with disabilities, people mm-hmm. who have a hard time walking, Incre- like empathy that weighs on me every second. Mm-hmm. But for just personal, how I live my life, my time feels like the most precious thing on earth. I don't have time to feel bad about myself. I don't have time to spend on people who, you know, we don't have a mutual nourishing relationship. Mm. Um, I don't have time to do anything out of obligation, but I just really, I really don't have time to doubt myself. I don't have time to do negative self-talk. I can relate to that. I struggle. Rue and I both have talked about this before that we are, hope you don't mind me speaking on behalf of both of us, we're both pretty sensitive and um, it works out really good for me in my profession uh, because I have to hear and experience people who are going through a lot of pain, who are experiencing loneliness. And Mm -hmm. I, uh, over the years have tried to figure, and I've gotten, you know, the professional training, which sometimes works and sometimes it's just bullshit. (laughs) It's not real human. Um, and then, but the personal side is, uh, it is hard to, to, it's a gift to be intuitively, um, empathetic towards the world and Mm -hmm. towards darkness and towards pain. And Mm -hmm. it it can be a burden. It can be exhausting because there's a lot of days that, uh, despite professional training and tons of personal work that I can be in the midst of that all day, even watching CNN. I mean, just pick anything. And I come home and there is nothing left in the tank. Mm. And I'm stoic to my family. And it scares me because I've got a little boy that's about a year old. And I'm constantly working on trying to figure out how to turn the empathy uh, into a two-way street to where I have it on myself as much as I feel it for the world. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) All of that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I feel that so much. We've talked, you know, a good bit. And one of the things that we both 
connected over too is like finding ways that help make our pain feel purposeful. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways in your writing and your drawing, you know, you're mm-hmm. putting purpose to like and making sense of and putting validating feelings and emotions and loss and heartbreak and all of these things that also other people feel less alone because you're speaking about it. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh wait, (laughs) she knows that too. And that's such a beautiful offering to give to the world and to you. Like I connect with you on so many soul levels. And I think one of the gifts that you give and why so many different types of people connect with what you're doing is it's because it's human. It's not like, this is just an emotional female girl. This is like, no, this is human. And everyone knows these experiences and you put words and validate them, which is just such a beautiful offering. Like that's what I keep thinking. Mm -hmm. It's an offering that you're giving us. Like I know I am, this is such a, I'm like, blessings on blessings on blessings. It's such a blessing to me. Like I, I feel blessed by your work because I read it and I'm like, she gets it and she sees me and she just put words to my pain. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden when I'm laying in this bed hurting and can't get up, I know I don't feel so alone. Mm. And that is like, I know you're offering that to so many people. I know I'm not alone mm-hmm. in those emotions. And you're like, oh, she knows. Mm-hmm. She sees me because she has experienced these same things. And is like a lot of what you do, it, it does feel really brave. And I think that word can get overused sometimes. But like it, I think for both of us, it's kind of a life source too. It's like yes. I don't have an option not to. Yeah. Because I feel like I will die if I don't, like I need to remind myself of this truth and to speak out loud these things that I know to be true because everything in me wants to go back to the old way. Mm -hmm. And I have to keep talking Mm -hmm. and I have to keep showing up and I have to, I'm not speaking from a place of being on the other side of it. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I'm here Mm -hmm. and I need to remind myself of, it's not, it's not my truth. It's the truth. Like, hmm. you know, yeah. it's like this universal truth that you offer us that is just, oh, I'm just, thank you. I'm so grateful. Thanks for saying that. I mean, I'm so thankful to you for telling your story. Anyone who tells stories, I just can't thank them enough. It's not easy. It's not easy. I, I really appreciate when people recognize that there is some labor involved to sharing your story because I think it it can look very easy and for me it is like brushing my teeth I mean it's like I have to do it I have to share I have to express I always have yeah but um sharing it with a lot of people who don't who may not always receive it in you know the same way um I'm also, you know, such an empath and I take people's energy and I can feel the energy. I can feel people looking at my work. Like I can feel that. And it's, it is a kind of labor that, um, is unseen. And I love having so many people in my life who are storytellers too. And 
I think, you know, the thread is, it's such a natural thing for them. It makes me feel like there are certain people who just kind of have to do it. Mm -hmm. And I almost think that for people who sort of have to do it, this is like my woo-woo coming out, but I almost think that we are like destined to kind of a weird life because we have to have things to tell stories about. (laughs) (laughs) So I couldn't have been a writer if I didn't have anything to talk about. So that's one benefit of pain. I mean, there are like so many ways that pain can be beautiful. I don't believe, you know, anything happens for a reason, but um, there is a part of me as sort of a natural storyteller that is grateful when I have more to talk about. I have more ways to connect to people. Um, I really, really see that as a gift. And even just kind of the pain of a lot of uncertainty in my life, especially in my 20s and kind of stumbling around, um, that all just seemed so purposeless. I mean, at least pain is kind of romanticized in our society, but uncertainty isn't. No one wants to hear that you don't know what to do with your life. That's not cute. That doesn't write poetry. Um, But I see that as sort of like, you know, the scraps of a the leftovers of a good meal or like, you know, the scraps of, um, I don't know much about gardening, but like plants that you don't use anymore. And they can create like beautiful mulch (laughs) and they can create, you know, healthy, fertile land for something, um, you know, actually tangibly beautiful to grow. And, um, you know, to think about these things in our lives as, not just material, but as a way to connect to people. What in my what in my past can I use to um, bring a little more empathy here, to bring a little mm. more understanding to someone? We've all had uncertain times. If we haven't had tremendous pain, we've all had, you know, the pain of uncertainty, the pain of insecurity. Everybody yeah. has. That's right. And But I think one thing, like, I know it feels like brushing your teeth, like you have to do it, but mm-hmm. also honoring the fact that it does come at a cost too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's something that I'm trying to become more um, healthy about because mm-hmm. like I do, I want to help everyone, but then I had to learn how to like, I have to take care of myself first before I can love, be able to, for it to be sustainable yes. and for it to be able to like really truly love people around me and yes. learning like there's been a lot of hard lessons that I've mm-hmm. had to learn and mm-hmm. learning to say no and learning to put up bound like hard boundaries when I'm a pleaser and I want to make everyone happy and I don't want to disappoint anyone. And I want to, you know, I'm also a seven and I want to be friends with everyone. And you're like, I, my body won't let me keep like what I do for a living. And when, especially when you're in like a helping profession, mm-hmm. you're giving out so much of yourself, which it also helps me too, you know, but then learning how to have a healthy balance. Cause I think in some ways, especially when I first started, it's like, I needed more from it. There, there was a mm. unhealthy balance in there. It's like, cause I needed these people to think a certain way about me or validate what had happened or, yeah. you know, think I was so whatever. I mean, there were so many not even conscious aware things that I was doing and why I would spread myself so thin and what, you know, and 
I still, I, I mean, of course I want to validate everyone and I want them to know how important they are, but there's also been this like stepping back in some ways. And now I'm like, you know, we can't, you can't meet with everyone and you can't respond to everyone, but trying to find the balance of like, I want to empower you. Like I'm speaking of learning how I had to empower myself and I couldn't look to other things to make me better or whole or okay, Mm -hmm. or life, you know, make my life seem like it's going to fit and work and everything's going to, you know, be all right. Like I had to learn how to step in and kind of like what you were saying earlier, like, you know, I am responsible for my emotions and to bring joy into my life. Like I'm saying like when, you know, when am I going to be happy or I wish this was my life and I could do all those things. We're like, do it, you know, like be, I had to be, become my own hero and Mm -hmm. step up for myself. And so that's kind of what I want to lead with more now. Whereas before I'm like, I want to help everyone. Yes. And I still, I want to speak truth and, but I want my truth to be, you have this in you to be your own hero. Mm-hmm. Like I want to speak the empowerment of like, you can step into mm-hmm. this place of you are so much stronger and so much more powerful and so much like your capabilities and possibilities of like bringing awareness and wholeness into your heart and is so much greater than we can ever imagine. Like I had no idea, you know? And and I think in some ways that has felt when I try to lead with that, that has felt way more freeing because it's not as much of a selfish ambition. Like I don't, I don't need people to need me. You know, I just want to show them Mm -hmm. that they are so loved and they're so powerful. Like, Oh my gosh. And there, there's just so much goodness and hope that everyone has within them and how I think you know, seeing someone else do it and like hopefully out of a wholehearted, beautiful place can hopefully inspire them to see that they can do it for themselves. Yes. I always say the one message when people ask me, what's the one thing you hope your account communicates to people? I want to say you can do this too. This is not, I am not an artist. I mean, not false modesty. I don't know how to draw hands. I am not a technical artist. I just talk about my life. All I'm doing is talking about my life. And people relate because people relate to anyone who's honest. Yeah, Mm. that's right. Anyone. And like you, I mean, when you are in a giving profession or hobby or whatever it is, you do have to learn how to protect yourself. And the way that I do that now, I used to do every illustration was in real time. So there's always something I was going through that day because that is how I processed my day. I don't do that anymore because more people are seeing it. And that's a really, really vulnerable place for me to put myself in that I that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I can't still be in the midst of healing from something and posting about it because that's a lot of strangers who can have opinions and give me their energy or anything or even have, you know, well-meaning advice. It's um that's a, too much for me to take on. So now I I write with a lot of distance and I don't write about people in my community or, you know, people who are still in my world because that's not, they didn't sign up for that. So those are my personal rules. And I think, you know, as, you know, vulnerability, it doesn't mean sharing everything that you think about. It's about, you know, being honest um, 
about your stories in a way that's really healthy for everyone and empowering to people. It wouldn't be empowering to people if I aired, you know, last night's date. That's that's gossip. That's not helpful. So those are the kinds of things you learn over yeah. time. One of the things that I'm impressed with, I haven't seen many people do it the way that you do it, is you communicate your story and and you, you're very honest in your truth and you talk about your pain, but you talk about it in a, not just an honest way, but it seems an educated way. Mm. Ruthie said there's humanness to it. You got that part nailed. But also it's like your understanding of the grief process and your understanding, I'm like, whoa, it's almost like, where did she go to get her master's in psychology? <laughs> Thank you. How do you, how do you feel like you, I mean, did you, did you, were you an avid reader? Did you do some of your own work or how did you get that knowledge? I think a lot of it comes from journaling mm. like crazy. A journal, I think, is the best gift you can give yourself. And my mom in her closet just has stacks of my journals, starting ah. from when I was a little kid. And so I think I was always very aware of how I was feeling. I also, I'm a really spiritual person. And I think that there's a a bit of perspective that comes with that that is a little more aware of the big picture. I was taught to ask a lot of these big picture questions when I was really young. And that was always something I was really interested in. And I think that it it helped me from an early age see my part of the human experience as a part. I really always felt like I am here as a visitor and everything that I experience is kind of bringing me closer to humanity. Um, my roommate, my old roommate, um, loves to make fun of me that the first time I had never really experienced suffering of any sort until my mid twenties. But when I was in college, I got really bad food poisoning. And she tells the story that I was like, she's like holding my hair to throw up. And I told her, I'm just so grateful that I know more about the human experience now because I felt like I've never had food poisoning. I don't know this part of life no. that like other people know. And I always was so curious, like, what is grief like? What is falling in love like? Hmm. You know, I want to know what is it like over in Brazil? I got to figure that out. You know, I just, I feel like um, pretty young, I, you know, I, I wanted to know so much more about myself and part of, and what was going on in humanity. So I think that must be where it comes from, right? It's, Does that well, seem right? It's awesome. Wherever it comes from. <laughs> Thank you so we've much. We've established that you're a badass. <laughs> not only do oh, we like know that. that, but almost a million people that follow your story know that. But so much. I did, I've just, uh, I was impacted earlier when you were talking about um, the sudden loss of Sam. And uh, what do you think based on where you are today and all that you've done and all that you've accomplished and all that you're doing, what do you think he'd be most proud of? Oh, good question. He loved life the way that I love life. And he taught me where to find joy. And where to find joy was in a little Lebanese shop in the Bronx that he would take me to when I visited him in New York. He found joy in coffee shops. He had um, a huge stack of papers, just of contacts he had met in other countries while visiting, he connected with people so well. He was so beloved 
by people he met because he was so curious about them. I remember like it took us so long to get out of a parking lot because he'd have to ask the parking lot attendant all about his life, where he's from, about his family, religion. Every He's just so curious, loved learning languages. He's a, a big linguist um, because he wanted to talk to people. My name actually he gave me because um, it translates well in a lot of languages. It's a very easy name to travel with. Mm. Almost every culture can pronounce it. And so I think he'd be most proud that I have that. I am so excited about the world and meeting people and learning about people. And I think that more than anything would really resonate with him. He'd be like, that's that's my that's daughter. That's my girl. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. How do you encourage people? I, I think I noticed that in you early on and and Ruth, this is a gift Ruthie has too. And and uh, it's just genuine curiosity about people mm. in the world. And uh, how would you encourage people to, to open up and mm. be more interested in the world and mm. people? I wrote about this recently, but something I learned from seven winters living in Chicago is that when your body is afraid of the cold, which it goes into kind of panic mode, <laughs> it freaks out and it tenses up. And you you hold your arms, your shoulders go up to your ears, you get really stiff and rigid. It's just your reaction to being uncomfortable or afraid, kind of in panic mode. But what actually keeps you warm is relaxing and open up, opening up your chest. You wanna you know, cover your torso but it actually helps you so much more to stay warm if you stay soft and open and you move around a bit. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this with our political climate and mm. how we freak out and we get really rigid, we get strict, we get um, you know, the idea that we have to kind of close off, be insular, be in our own communities. And the idea that actually our response to fear can be something relaxed, stay soft, keep moving, and you'll actually protect yourself better that way. And that's what I think about during times of heartbreak too. You're, you know, when you've been hurt by someone, you want your heart to just close off and you, it gets so stiff and scary and shivering and its little shoulders tense up. But if the best way to heal from heartbreak is to actually keep giving, to keep being generous, to keep opening up. And so I like to think that in times when you have the impulse to close up and keep your opinions and keep in your little community, it's counterintuitive, but it's actually going to help and protect you if you open up. So, um, you know, when you're in a room with people who are different from you or just threatening to your identity on any level, um, including, you know, on a date that's not going very well, <laughs> to keep being generous, to keep being open, to say, let's play a game. Let's talk about this. Um, what was your childhood like? To lean into that and, you know, unravel your arms and lower your shoulders and move around a bit. That's the way that you're going to keep that curiosity spark. And that's the way that you're going to actually make yourself feel better in those times when you do feel a little bit panicky and different. I love that. Thank you. What lights you up the most? Oh, where do I begin? Good food. Food. Pineapple margaritas. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, Nashville is very illuminating. Um, 
I love that my life has been so unpredictable in the past year. And that's something that I think I never felt very comfortable with. I loved having a plan. And then uh, so much has happened to make me realize that plans are hilarious and you cannot plan anything. And the idea that, um, you know, I can, you kind of think you have your friends in place. You think you sort of have your career, your life in place. Then I meet someone like Ruthie out of the blue, you know, like I am still learning so much about myself and about my life. And when I think about that, it's like fireworks in my heart. It's like, wow, there is so much more to learn about the world. And by, you know, keeping, you know, inviting people in, inviting experiences in, you know, that's the way to do it. What do you, what scares you the most? More loss. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I feel like I've paid my dues, but I know there's so much more. Mm. I know there's so much more, and that scares me. I think yeah. you know you you can go through it once. It doesn't mean you're um, you're going to be any better at it. Yeah, you know the next time it's, it's always, always hard. It's always hard. Yeah, that's so real. And the beautiful and heartbreaking part of like the more you're open and connected and fall in love with humans the there's more, a lot more <laughs> there's a lot more loss yeah and it's yeah. like it's the it comes at a cost and it I wouldn't change one part of it because it's what breaks me open and makes my life so full or these people I love so deeply that give me so much it's such life-giving relationships and I want to love deeply and I don't want to kind of like what you were saying before when we live out of the space of abundance instead of scarcity. And that means like, I'm going to love as fully as I possibly can and know that I can lose this. That plays out in a lot of things. And it is so scary. And I think that because we live in this scarcity mentality, it's like, I've been hurt and I want to just close up and never feel that hurt again. But Mm. you're the only one that loses there. You know, exactly. and, and I've done it. I get it. I understand mm-hmm. where that comes from. It's our self-protective nature to want to just, mm-hmm. you know, ball up, mm-hmm. hold my heart and f- tense up and all the things you're talking about in the mm-hmm. winter. That's what we want to do emotionally, too, mm-hmm. when we've experienced pain. And it takes a lot of um, strength to push your shoulders back and to go in generously and just love fully and show back up, even though you can get hurt over mm-hmm. and over again, mm-hmm. but it also is, I'm not living if I don't do mm-hmm. that. I'm not fully living. Fully, I'm not yeah. fully experiencing all the goodness that yeah. there is in this yeah. life. And and those people are meeting me there and allowing me to feel their love. And that is like, you know, it's just, it's such a gift and it, loving deeply, it, a, comes at a cost. And I so understand that fear. And I'm sure there is like, you know, it's, you have your mom, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. like, I'm sure that that is, you know, you have each other and it's like such a beautiful relationship, but you've experienced loss. So Mm -hmm. it's like, we know what that feels like. And that's, is there something that as a child, um, you felt like you needed to hear that you didn't mm. hear. Mm. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I um 
classic four, I felt very different from people. I felt like there was something wrong with me. It breaks my heart to read my journals when I was a teenager because I would just, it was pages and pages of saying, there's something wrong with me. What is wrong with me? Why can't I be like other people? Why can't I just walk through the halls and be like a normal person? Why can't I let go of all this, these thoughts and these anxieties? And I I was such a deep thinker. And I thought, how can people just be like going down to, you know, the milkshake diner when there's like, real stuff happening in the world. And I just had a really hard time with that. And I think I thought that that was such a hindrance to my life. I thought I would never really connect with people. And I just so wish that someone had told me, this is the best part of you. Your sensitivity is the best part of you. Mm. I was told I was too sensitive. I was told that just get over it, snap out of it. And I just would have so appreciated even reading anything about how that was going to serve me so well, you yes. know. Yes. And help so many other people too. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's so, I love that. And I think that is something, even in your drawings, that you're offering people. You felt so alone and now you give people the gift of not feeling so alone. And it's what a beautiful full circle thing. You know, like I think about the 20 somethings that are sitting in their home and they're like feeling they're the only one and no one understands. And then they're like, oh, but there are people that understand. Like that is so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, I want to give you, give you a picture to take a look at real quick. <laughs> Tell us Tell, what, what you you're see? looking at. Oh my gosh. This is me in Mexico with my parents. <laughs> How old is are you there? Is that the five-year-old trip? Yes. I just Thanks read about that. Remembering. Yes. Thank you. Wow. That was like their last ditch effort to try to save their effort. That was like, mm. yeah, the... Um, the kind of last hurrah of the three Andrew family members together. Mm. And I remember it so vividly. I just loved being with my parents and um, loved traveling, getting to travel with them. And yeah, they just, I love that they treated me like just one of them mm. took me out to these restaurants. It's such a, such a lovely childhood to get to do that, to get to be one of the adults. I loved it. Um, based on what you guys just talked about uh, at that age, what do you, what's something you'd like her to know? Oh. Knowing what you know now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so connected to her. I have dreams about my five-year-old self all the time. Really? I'm always... Yeah, I'm really connected to her. I always think, what would she think about what I'm doing now? I'm trying to impress her. Um, I have dreams where she'll talk to me and she'll tell me how she thinks I'm doing. It's wow. it's really amazing. What? Yeah, it's really amazing. I had one when I got my book deal where I was just looking at her and she just looked up and waved and smiled. Oh. And it was such a good feeling. I feel so much more connected to her now than I ever have because I feel like your five-year-old self is like your pure self. Like this is before society gets in. This little girl loved life, loved dancing, 
loved singing, loved creating, so sensitive, so compassionate, cried at every movie when any anyone was hurt. Um, but a lot of that got taken from her, you know, because life will do that and life will make you think that the things that are good about you aren't good. And, um, you know, society will give you insecurities. And I feel so much closer to this little joyful, um, bouncy, happy little weirdo (laughs) than I ever have. I feel like that's how you could describe me now (laughs) and it would work. One of the things I love that you wrote in your book, I can't remember what the context was of where you got there, but just you're talking about like pleasing all these other people. And then you're like the only two people that you need to please in this world is your little girl self and your old self. Like that, you know, tell me more about that. I loved that. Uh, A friend told me that once and it stuck with me so much. Uh, the idea of pleasing your childhood self is, you know, connecting. Who was I before society got a hold of my brain? What did I love to do? What was I drawn to? And how did I feel love? You know, when you're little, you're just kind of a, you're just a little cotton ball to kind of absorb love from the world. Um, and how did I best receive it? So, you know, personality-wise, very connected to that. I think about my older self. My favorite type of person always since I was young is like old lady, the old ladies, especially in New York, like on the Upper West Side, who wear feathers in their hair and they walk around with their basset hounds and they wear ball gowns to the, (laughs) you know, to the grocery store. I see these women all the time and their store, they have lived a hundred thousand lives. And I always loved the women who said, oh, yeah, um, 1965, I was doing, I was living here. I was dating this person. I was doing that. And then I moved here. And then I did that. And I traveled here. You're like, how are you not 2,000 years old? <laughs> and I have always been so drawn to that. And so I like to think about being that and working backwards. Like, how do I get those stories? Mm. How do I get that warmth of that woman who invites you to her amazing apartment that is like just story upon story, you know, in all of her objects, all of her memories, all of her photos. You're just so curious. Who's this guy? Who's this? And working backwards, you know, how do I get there? How do I get those stories? How do I get those experiences? My therapist, um always tells me that I'm like this bee who just like has to go to every flower. Like I can't stand one. I just, okay, I got that one. I'm on to the next. I'm on to the next. And I think like my 85 year old self, I really hope, I mean, she's got, she's got a good head start for stories, yeah, but, but there's like, like, how are you this age? Like, I feel like you've lived 800. You're like, oh no, that's when I lived in South America and I did that. I'm like, wait, how did you have time to have six years in Chicago, four years in DC? You're like really young. I'm like, good God. You've lived so much life already. It's incredible. It's already, and it's just beginning. You know, yeah, like it's so, so I'm so excited to get to just uh, see as a friend, as a believer in what you're doing, as a fan of your work. Like, I am just so excited to see how the world 
meets you and rises up to meet you because you give so much that it's just going to continue to show up for you too. And I, I can't wait. I'm just, I'm thrilled to see how it unfolds and to just get to be your cheerleader and cheering you on. And I, I'm like, it's a beautiful, you are a beautiful story. Such a beautiful Thank story. You, Ruthie. you Thank are. you so much. It's the truth. Oh. Yeah. Thank you for sitting with us. You clearly have an important voice mm-hmm. today. And one of the most, so one of the more important voices I think I've sat with and the enthusiasm and the grace and the empathy that you have for life and the curiosity that you have for humans is so important. It's a powerful voice. I think it needs to be shouted from the rooftop. So I feel lucky just to be a passenger in this conversation, just watching <laughs> you guys connection, but also just learning from your wisdom. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That feels that feels so nourishing to hear. Thank yeah. you. Oh, Keep going. We need you. Thank you so yes, much. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, this has been amazing. Such a privilege. I'm so what honored to have this space with you. Are we you. still on a podcast? It just feels like just chatting. <laughs> so nice. We recorded. Yeah. <laughs> That's so but, great. Yeah. Thank you. We love you. Oh, yeah. You. We always forget. Is there, anything, <laughs> is there anything you're working on you want to share with us to talk about? Um, yes. Well, I wrote a book and it was published in March. It's called Am I There Yet? Um, that's kind of the collection of stories from my 20s. I'm working on a new one now that's um goes a little to turn deeper. It in? Oh my gosh, uh, like a hundred years from now. <laughs> they take so long. It does take, they Books didn't give take you a time. forever. It's not even like Got it. It's it's in the future. Got Stay it. tuned in like it ten years. No, I hope time. that it will. I hope yes. it will be pretty soon. But, um, yeah. Right now, I am working on that, and I'm really excited to just have a book in the world and yes, be telling my story in a lot of ways. I did it. Uh, I did it. You are it's a writer so and such an incredible uh, one, and you bless us. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Thank you so much. Like I'm, I, I feel very blessed. Very, very blessed. Blessings on blessings on blessings. On blessings. <laughs> Love that song. Yes. Right. Thank Yay. you. Sis. Thank you. Awesome. It's been awesome. Delight. Wake up, fake love, make them all laugh. Someone, someone, take off your mask. It's nice to me. Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. We know that your time is valuable, so it just means the world to us that you would spend your time and energy with us. The music from our podcast is from one of my favorite bands, Oliver Riot, and the song is called Alcatraz, and it is from their EP Hallucinate. And I just cannot speak highly enough about these boys. They have a new record coming out soon, and you should check them out. They're amazing. Definitely go get their music wherever you can get it. They are amazing and you're going to love them as much as we do. If you want to learn more about the Unspoken Podcast, please go to theunspokenpodcast.com for show notes and information about the guest. And please follow us on Instagram at the Unspoken Podcast. We'd also love for you to subscribe to the podcast and help us spread the news and share this because we cannot wait to show you what's up next and we will be with you all again soon. <laughs>